0: Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Amen, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. uh, When we moved to Ohio from California 13 years ago, uh, I had no idea that God had waiting for me and for my family a special relationship. And uh, I had the opportunity to uh, leave California, go to Ohio, and do a leadership transition plan with the founding pastor of a church called Cuyahoga Valley Church there outside of Cleveland, Ohio. And the founding pastor's name was Rick Duncan. And we did a two-year transition from uh, lead pastor right there. Thank you. And over the years as I worked with Rick because he stayed on the team, uh, we started wearing a lot of different hats together. And Rick has become not just a friend but a mentor and a coach and a supporter and an encourager and a dear brother in Christ and a co-laborer for kingdom. As so I got to know Rick over the years, and here's the reality, there, there's, there's a bunch of names that sometimes hit the, hit the headlines, popular preachers, popular people that we get to know their names, and we get to know their names when they succeed, we get to know their names when, when they fail. But for every name you might know the, of, of a spiritual leader pastor that gets in the headlines, there are thousands of other pastors you'll never hear about, that are so fruitful and so faithful, that because of them, hundreds if not thousands of people uh, come to know the Lord, um, grow in the Lord, churches are planted, missionaries are sent, um, lives are changed, communities are changed, and the kingdom of God advances. And Rick Duncan is one of those faithful men of God. Uh, and, And I could talk about, you know, his education, his ministry background, all those things, and those are important. But for me, what's most important about Rick Duncan is his character. This is a man who loves Jesus. This is a man who loves his family. And this is a man who loves the church. And he loves those who don't know Christ yet. And so when Wes, uh, you know, for those of you who are newer, we, we just came over here to Arizona four months ago and uh, to call North home and call Arizona home. Uh, in that transition, Pastor Wes said, hey, do you know anybody you want to bring in to challenge our men for the men's weekend? I'm like, I got a guy in mind. And so uh, Rick came out from Ohio to uh, lead our men this last weekend, and also to preach the Sunday. And so I get the joy, uh, a true privilege of my heart, to introduce you to a man who's become a dear friend, a dear brother. Would you please welcome my friend, Rick Duncan?
1: Thank you, sir. <laughs> Well, it is a real joy to be here. We see some friends from Ohio back in the day right up here on the front row, and I'm a little bit uh, out of sync because I'm used to when I had the opportunity to speak at Cuyahoga Valley when Chad was the lead pastor, the Allen family would always sit over here. So I'm feeling a little little awkward today with you guys sitting way over there, but it is wonderful to be with, with you, enjoyed being with the men this past weekend. Um... Do I really have what it takes to make a difference in this world? Do you ever wonder about that for yourself? Because I have wondered about that for me. Uh, I was a washed-up minor league baseball player from the sticks of Tennessee. Uh, I had played baseball in high school, received a scholarship to play at Vanderbilt University in Nashville, I was drafted by the Minnesota Twins and spent uh, five years playing in places like Reno, Nevada and Visalia, California, Orlando, Florida, and Nashville, Tennessee. But the dream of actually playing in the show in the major leagues was over. So I took a job in Jacksonville, Florida, where I met a man named Bob Tebow. Now Bob and his wife Pam, are the parents of five great kids, one of whom, is Tim Tebow, the famous athlete and Heisman Trophy winner from the University of Florida. So I actually met Bob and Pam before there was a Tim. Uh, At that time, I was 26 years old. I had failed to achieve a major life goal. And so I wondered, do I have what it takes to make a difference in this world? Now, Bob must have seen something in me because he asked me to be in a small discipleship huddle with him and another friend named Jim Scroggins, and Bob invited us into his life and into his home. So we would read Scripture together. We would memorize verses together. We read good books, and Bob actually sent us out into the community to share our faith with other people, and we began to see some results. Lives were changed, and God used us to bless other people, and slowly I began to see... Maybe there is life after baseball. I began to see that maybe God did want to do something significant through my life. And what was happening is I was actually finding my purpose. So I was still, you know, washed up minor league ball player from the 6th Tennessee. But God had not abandoned me. Instead, God was going to use all of those minor league experiences as he unfolded his plan for my life. And I began to see that a life of usefulness was just beginning. And I began to think, well, maybe, maybe I do, through Christ, have what it takes to actually make a difference in the world. I think I'm in a room with some people here this morning who might be feeling I have been disqualified from being used by God. You know, the magnitude of my sin... Is too great for God to use me? Or or how could God use me uh, in light of the damage that I've caused others? Or I just really have nothing to offer God. Or I'm not smart enough. Or I'm not skilled enough. Or I'm not uh, sanctified enough. And so I don't want us to miss something this morning. God calls unlikely people to do uncommon things for him. God God calls unlikely people to do unexpected things for him. And to help us unpack this, uh, get your Bibles today and open them to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, fire up your apps, use your phones, whatever. We're going to look at Galatians chapter 1 and a few verses here today. And we're going to read the story of how God called an unlikely man for an unexpected mission. And his name was Paul. And here's the thing. The principles of how God called Paul to be useful in his kingdom are the principles of really how God is calling people like you and like me today. So I want to remind us of the overall context of the book of Galatians. The great missionary church planter, Paul, started churches in a a region of the world we now know as Turkey. And uh, it's called Galatia. And these Galatian believers were being deceived by a group of false teachers called Judaizers. And they were saying, hey, you know what? Paul just told you part of the gospel." So to be forgiven of your sins, to actually be made right in God's sight, uh, if you want to get your ticket punched to heaven, then you got to believe in Jesus, plus you have to obey all the rules and the rituals and the regulations of the Jewish faith, all these laws found in the Old Testament. You need to keep 613 laws of the commands in the Torah, and if you're a man, you got to be circumcised. So believe in Jesus, plus... You need to live like a really good religious Jew would live, and that's the way you get eternal life. And Paul is saying to these Galatians, that's not the gospel, that's not the good news, because that is actually bad news. Because if you have to keep all the rules, rituals, and regulations of the Old Testament, then we're all in trouble, because no human being can do it. Only the God-man, Jesus Christ, could keep the law perfectly, and that's why... Salvation comes only through Christ. So Paul is saying it's not Jesus plus, it's Jesus period. So we don't and we can't add our religious performance to the Savior's life, death, and resurrection. Because if I add self-effort... Christ's work then I'm going to end up with guilt and shame and failure and it will actually diminish what Jesus did on the cross. So this is why this missionary church planner Paul is basically fighting mad as he writes this letter because the salvation of people that he loves is at stake and he's saying here the gospel of Jesus Christ is worth defending And earlier in chapter 1, he he writes this. If, If somebody comes and they say that believing in Jesus isn't really enough for salvation, let him be accursed. So these Judaizers who have come, and they're proclaiming a gospel, which is not really a gospel at all, he says, let them be accursed. Basically, he's saying, let them go to hell. Now, that's really strong language. So evidently, these opponents of the gospel... We're saying, you know what, guys, you cannot trust Paul. He isn't telling you the whole truth. He's a people pleaser. Paul isn't a real apostle of Jesus. So in this section of Galatians chapter 1, Paul is making a case for his apostleship. He is actually presenting his credentials because he wants these Galatian Christians to know You can trust this letter that I'm writing to you. Everything that you're going to read in chapter 2 through chapter 6 is really true. Because I didn't make this gospel up. So Paul describes how God called him. And in the process, we're going to learn some lessons for ourselves about how God would call us. So fulfilling God's call for my life requires five things. First, a conversion And then a commission, clarity, confirmation, and courage. Now, you might be thinking, well, I'm no Apostle Paul, and that would be true, of course. But the overarching principles and patterns involved in his calling will be the overarching principles and patterns involved in your calling, too. I want to remind you, God saved you for. A reason. He's left you here on this planet and didn't take you to heaven because there's still something only you can do for Christ that nobody else can do. So it's your job and it's my job to understand what God's reason is and then to seek to fulfill it. So let's unpack those five principles. Uh, fulfilling God's call on my life requires first a conversion. A conversion. And we can see this in verse 13. Galatians 1 verse 13. Paul says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. So Paul says, you know what? My reputation has preceded me. Uh, He was a Jewish leader convinced he is actually serving God by fighting against these Jesus-following churchgoers. And the Bible tells us that Paul was even present when the very first Christian martyr was killed. He held the coats of those who stoned Stephen. So Paul is really wanting to stamp out Christianity. He was totally convinced that he was doing a good thing trying to destroy Jesus and the followers of Christ. So think about it. (laughs) This guy is a Middle Eastern man who is killing people for religious reasons. He was a violent extremist wanting to take down anyone he perceived was a danger to his religion. If he lived today, he would be on a terrorist list. Now, if you think about it, being a terrorist ought to disqualify someone from being a person that God would call, right? But look at verse 14. He goes, I was advancing in Judaism Beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. So he's saying, you know what, I'm a rise, I was a rising superstar in Judaism. He had extreme zeal to perpetuate and promote anti-Christian Judaism. And he is seeing himself basically as a hero of the Jews. He's got a reputation, Christian killer. But God had an eternal plan that he was unfolding in Paul's life. Verse 15, but when he, it's a reference to God, who had set me apart before I was born. So Paul Paul recognizes that God is working out a plan that he puts into place before Paul is even born. God knew that Paul would be a church terrorist who did not deserve to be transformed. But God has given Paul a gift. He saved Paul. He converted Paul away from the lifeless legalism of religion, and he gives Paul a gracious gift. It's new life in Christ. Verse 15 again. And he who called me by his grace. And just, just want to throw this out. You probably know this, right? Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is getting what you don't deserve to get from God. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So it's sola gratia, sola fide, sola Christus. So if you're following Jesus, you probably at some point in your life sensed, God is calling me to himself by his grace. You sensed that someone was drawing you to Jesus and maybe it was during a Sunday worship service or during a Sunday school class. Maybe it was at a Bible study. Maybe you were in your bedroom or walking in your neighborhood in a park. Maybe it was in response to a conversation with a coworker or a friend. But God called you to himself. Not because of your goodness, but in spite of your badness. He called you by his grace. Why? He didn't call you so you become religious. And you could go. Okay, I went to church today. I'm good to go. He called you into a relationship, and what he did is he like unveiled your eyes, so you could actually see Christ. And in Paul's words, God, verse 16, was pleased to reveal his Son to me. So Jesus came into this planet to reveal himself, crucified, risen, reigning so to, as a friend to sinners. God opens the eyes of everyone who believes, so that we could see God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. We were blind until God opens our eyes. So now we can see with new eyes. We can hear him with new ears. We can feel him with a new heart. So my question for us today is like, when was your conversion? When did that happen for you? I love to hear stories about that. But when was the Son, Jesus, actually revealed to you? And some of you might say, well, you know what? I I just don't really know a time, a place, a date. I've just always kind of been a pretty good person. I've always hung around the church, and I've always believed in God. And I just want to say, if you can't identify, at least generally speaking, a time, when you receive the gift of grace and you begin to see Jesus in a whole new way, then it's likely that you're not really converted. You know, if you were to ask me, hey, hey Rick, uh, when did you get married? And I said to you, well, I don't know. I've just kind of like always been married. You would say... Maybe something's wrong with this guy from Ohio. No, there was a time, October the 2nd, 1976, a long time ago, I said, I do, to a girl named Marianne. And she said, I do, to me, and that's when we were married. Now, Jesus Christ already said, I do, to you, when he died on the cross and rose from the grave. And he offered himself to be your Savior, your lord he offered himself to have a relationship with you but you got to say i do to him so when was that for you and maybe for somebody in the room it it's today today is the day for you to be converted away from this to jesus christ And maybe today you need to just pray a prayer. You don't have to close your eyes. You don't have to come forward. But in your heart, you can say some words like this. Today, I confess my sin. Today, I receive your grace. Today, I'm seeing Jesus in a whole new way. He lived for me. He died for me. He rose for me so I could be forgiven. Change my life, Jesus. Make me new. I want to be converted to you. And maybe there's somebody in the room today that's your heart's desire, that's your prayer. Maybe today is your day to say, I do to Jesus. We're going to give you an opportunity a little later in the service to connect with us about that, if that's you. Fulfilling God's call on my life requires a conversion. Fulfilling God's call for my life requires a commission, a commission. Now, everybody in this room who's a follower of Jesus, you've been given um, the, the great commission by Jesus. It's in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all the nations. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 4, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. In Acts 1.8, he says, you will be my witnesses. In 2 Corinthians 5, he says, you're going to be an ambassador for Christ. In 2 Timothy 4, we're told to do the work of evangelists. So, so think about it. Without exception, that, 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 this means you, this means me. We are all commissioned to be missionaries, and disciple-makers, and fishers of men, women, boys, and girls, and witnesses, and ambassadors, and evangelists. Uh, Thirty years ago, I was um, a huddle coordinator for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes at a national conference in Black Mountain, North Carolina. and One of my huddle leaders had just graduated from the University of Tennessee. And he would become a future NFL Hall of Fame defensive tackle for the Philadelphia Eagles and the Green Bank Packers. And his name was Reggie White. And Reggie White <laughs> had this infectious personality, a huge smile, a big guy. Uh, 315, ran a 4640. I mean, it was unbelievable. He had a camp of 900 boys chanting a mantra that I will never forget. I'm just a nobody telling everybody about somebody who can save anybody. (laughs) And if you hear, you know, almost a thousand kids chanting that over and over, it gets stamped on your soul. And and that's who we all need to see. That's how we need to see ourselves. We are all commissioned to proclaim our faith and lead others to Christ. Evangelism is just helping the next person take their next step toward Jesus, So everybody here is a nobody who ought to be telling everybody about somebody who can save anybody. But notice in this text that Jesus not only gave Paul that great commission, but he gave him a unique commission within the great commission. Why was Paul converted? Verse 16, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. So why did God save Paul? God is going to take this zealous, theologically astute, activist, Jewish scholar and use him throughout the Roman Empire to bring non-Jewish people to Christ. And you can clearly see this in Acts chapter 9 where he talks about his conversion. People were afraid of this terrorist, so God gave the people that initially discipled Paul some insight about God's plan for Paul. The Lord said... He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles, Acts 9. Now, we do have stories in the New Testament about Paul actually sharing his faith with Jewish people, but Paul particularly was passionate about sharing the gospel with non-Jewish people. That's his unique commission within the Great Commission, to be a missionary church planter throughout the Roman Empire to non-Jewish people. So, everybody in the room here, you've been given the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. But what is your unique mission within the Great Commission? What are the unique things that God has prepared you to do? When did you last reassess God's call on your life? And one way to think about it is like, what is a problem in your family, or a problem in your neighborhood, or a problem at work, or in the city, in the nation, in the world, that especially bothers you? Or you go, I I just got to do something about that. What are you most passionate about? You know, that's one of the things that we encouraged the men this weekend to, to wrestle with. And we talked about Helping the guys to figure out what their sweet spot is. Now, I'm a baseball guy. I love baseball stories. Sorry, you guys have heard many of these over the years. Um, But you have a baseball bat here. Uh, If you hit the ball down in here, it's not going to go very far, and you might break your bat. If you hit the ball up in here, it's not going to go very far, and you're going to break your bat. You're trying to hit the ball on the sweet spot of the bat, And what I'm saying is that everybody in this room has a sweet spot. It's your unique commission within the great commission. You say, well, how do I figure out what my sweet spot is? And we've got some tools that we made available to the men. Uh, We use some post-its like this. Uh, We help the guys identify what their passion was, what their abilities are. And what their context is. And then where all of that comes together right here is your sweet spot. And for me, uh, there it is. I am created to honor God and help others by leveraging my ability to teach, coach, and catalyze with a deep passion for family learning and discipleship and church planting in the context of a guiding, equipping, and supporting environment. In other words, be the grandpa. That's who I am. I might as well be that, right? Now, that's pretty long, involved, complex, amplified sentence. And so we encourage the guys to wrestle it down. And uh, here's what I came up with for me, and that is to leverage voracious, voracious learning. I love to learn. To equip younger leaders for transformational discipleship and church multiplication. That's what I'm supposed to do. Church multiplication is just a fancy way to talk about church planting. That's who I am. That's what I want to do. And if you had to say, what are your two words? It would be multiplying catalysts. I want to help people uh, take their next step to do something new and exciting and dynamic for Christ. And that's, that's one of the reasons I'm here. And hoping that you'll take your next step to be a catalyst in some way in your community. Listen, what? If you could discover your sweet spot and then lean into that as your unique mission within the Great Commission. I mean, some of you are passionate about being pro-life. Some of you are passionate about, let's, let's do something about this sex trafficking problem that we have. Some of, us, you, some of you may want to use sports to reach people for Christ. Some of you might want to leverage your influence in the business world to reach people for Christ. Some of you might say, you know, God's called me to help reach uh, people that live in apartments right around this church for Christ. Some of you might say, you know, I want to spend my life training parents to do a better job raising their kids. For some of you, it's divorce care. For some of you, it's grief care. I don't know what the calling of God is, but I want to urge you passionately figure out, what your sweet spot is. And if you want a tool that we actually used on with the men's retreat, then you can send an email to info at northbible. Is it North Bible Church or just North Bible? NorthBible.org and, and just just write the word sweet spot in in the uh, in the what do you call that the information line <laughs> and, and and we will send you a document to help you begin to unpack what the unique calling is on your life and i'm sure your staff team would love to walk you through that fulfilling god 's purpose for my life requires a commission then it requires a clarity a clarity, and what I mean here is uh Slow down before you speed up. Because to fulfill your calling, you need clarity about your calling. The call to ministry is the call to prepare for ministry. And Paul tells us what he did immediately following his conversion to Christ. Verse 16, last part. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, so stop there in verse 18. Paul is telling us, I spent three years in Arabia, in the desert, and Damascus. Now, where Paul went in Arabia and exactly how he spent his time there, nobody really knows. But when we consider verse 12, where he says he received the gospel through the revelation of Jesus Christ... Paul is telling us he spent three years being taught by Jesus, probably through his study of the Old Testament. He had some alone time with the ascended Lord after his conversion. And I think probably what's happening here is Paul goes, I got to reread the Old Testament um, through the eyes of my faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, this could be what you might call the the DST, the Desert School of Theology. So like the other apostles, Paul studied with Christ for three years as he began his ministry. He's saying, the insights that I have about the gospel, they've come directly from the Lord and not from men. Now, if you read Acts chapter 9, which details the story of Paul's conversion, it's clear Paul was a public witness Like he was telling people about Jesus before he went to Arabia. And so even before and presumably even during his time of preparation, Paul was actually pointing people to Christ. But during this time, Paul is gaining clarity about the gospel, about the scriptures, about his own character. So Paul is spending time with the Lord. God is dealing with his pride. So you have this highly regarded, highly educated Pharisee of Pharisees learning to surrender what once had been important to him. He learned, developed his theology. He had been invited to Christ, now he's being equipped so he could be sent. And Bible scholars talk about the timeline of Paul's preparation. Probably converted to Christ in A.D. 33, and then he had those three years, 34 to 37, in this desert school of theology in Arabia. And then in 37, he actually takes a trip to Jerusalem, more on that later. And then for the next 10 years, he's doing ministry in Syria and Tarsus and Damascus. And finally, in 47, he takes his first missionary journey. So it appears there's like 13 to 14 years between Paul's conversion and his first missionary church planting trip. So he's telling people about Jesus the whole time, but God is using those years as a time of preparation for his missionary church-planting work among the Gentiles. So, the call to your ministry is a call for you to prepare for your ministry. How are you going to get clarity about the gospel, about the scriptures, about your character? Listen, Ephesians chapter 4 tells us that God has given leaders to the church, to North Bible Church, to equip the saints... That means you for the work of your ministry. You're not paying this staff to do ministry. You're paying the staff to equip you to do your ministry. You have an assignment from Christ. So take advantage of every equipping opportunity that this church offers you so that you can fulfill the unique mission that God has for you so that someday you can actually stand before God and have good reason to believe that you're going to hear, Well done. Good and faithful servant. Don't see North Bible Church as a cruise liner where you are paying the staff to make your trip to heaven comfortable and fulfilling. And don't see North Bible Church as a battleship where you are joining your staff uh, to fire the guns and defeat the enemies. Instead, See North Bible Church as an aircraft carrier where you are being equipped and resourced and fueled to be launched into battle for Christ where you live, where you learn, where you work, where you play. So while you are telling everybody about somebody who will save anybody, get equipped, get training, get discipled, Get more clarity about your calling. You know, I got really serious about serving Christ when I was 21 years old. But it really wasn't until I was 33 that I began to do what I considered to be my life's work, starting a church that would help establish a church planning movement so that every neighborhood in northeast Ohio would have a multiplying church. And during those 12 years, I got trained by my local church, through fellowship Christian athletes, through baseball chapel, through the navigators, through seminary. So, my question is How will you gain more clarity about the unique mission that God has given to you? God's servants, like Paul, sometimes have to spend a season of their lives in the shadows, waking, waiting on God's timing, God's working. Listen, I just want to encourage you be equipped, plug into the different things that are offered here at North Bible. And you go, well, I need some more formal education. Well, I, you know, hey, in Northeast Ohio, we would love to have the resources you guys have. You've got Grand Canyon University. you got Phoenix Seminary. Come on. And then uh, Chad just mentioned September 17th, there's a Sharing Your Faith seminar that, workshop. workshop's going to happen right here. Plug into that. Take advantage. See, if you focus on the depth of your life, God will take care of the breadth of your ministry. Fulfilling God's call for your life requires requires a clarity, and it requires a confirmation. Confirmation. So Paul looks for the affirmation and the approval of the leaders of the first church in Jerusalem. And here's the thing. He's heard stories about this man named Peter and how Jesus trained Peter and told Peter, hey, upon the rock of your confession of faith that Jesus is Lord, I'm going to build my church. And he probably heard stories about Peter's denials of Jesus and then how Jesus restored Peter to feed his lambs. And now Peter is the leader of the church in Jerusalem, so Paul wants to make sure that his take on the gospel lines up with Peter's take on the gospel. So Paul travels to Jerusalem and spends 15 days with Peter and James, the brother of Jesus, who's the leader of the church. Verse 18. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that's another name for Peter, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except, except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. So he here is telling the Galatians that he, Peter, and James compared notes. And there's no difference between what Paul has been teaching and what the apostles have been teaching. No question about the content of the gospel. And he walked away from those meetings confident that his teaching of the gospel was consistent with overall apostolic teaching. How do you apply this? It's important for you, when you're doing ministry, not to do it alone. It's important for you to do ministry in the context of community. You need trusted leaders that are going to pour into your lives. We need to have trusted leaders who are going to tell us when we're stepping out of line. We need to be connected with great leaders and theologians and teachers from the past as well as the present. So confirming your beliefs and teaching with other Bible-believing, faithfully studious Theologically sound leaders is important to keep us from going off into dangerous theological tangents and to keep us from becoming cult-like. I just want to say independent, isolated, unaccountable, arrogant, unteachable, uncoachable, narcissistic leaders are dangerous. So don't be one of those. So you've been given staff leaders here and elders here who actually want you to fulfill your calling. So just make an appointment. Have coffee or breakfast or lunch with Krista, Paige, Sharon, or Chad or Wes or Brent or the elders of the church. Who is it that needs to confirm your calling? Fulfilling God's call for your life requires a confirmation. And lastly, it requires a courage. When we step out in faith to fulfill God's call on our lives, some people are not going to understand us. Others aren't going to like us. Certain people may even oppose us. Paul was misunderstood, but it didn't deter him. Look at verse 22. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorify God because of me. Paul was a man of uncommon courage. And we don't have time today to talk about the many, many ways that he displayed the virtue of fortitude. Uh, but one example is right here in the text. He is standing up. He is speaking out against these people who are saying that you, to be saved, you got to you know, uh, follow Jesus plus keep the rules of religion. And in chapter 2, you're going to see that he's going to stand up and he's going to speak out against uh, the leader of the church, Peter, when Peter came and was a hypocrite in the church, churches in Galatia. And, and think about it. Paul kept preaching the gospel even when Roman authorities imprisoned him and abused him. And he kept preaching the gospel even when Jewish religious leaders had him arrested. If you're going to fulfill your unique mission, it's going to require courage. You will be misunderstood. People will question your motives. People you thought would be loyal to you will abandon you. And I know one of Pastor Chad's favorite passages is in Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, and do not be afraid, and do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. If God has called you, he will be with you. And courage doesn't mean you're not afraid. Courage means you're fearing God more than you're fearing your opposition. So what's your next best step to display courage? Courage. And for some of you, it's like, you know what, I know my mom, I know my dad, uh, I know my siblings. They're not, not going to be happy with me you know, becoming more bold as a Christian. <laughs> Do you fear them more than you fear God? Take that step of faith. Fulfilling God's call for my life requires a courage. Now, don't forget that Paul is battling for the purity and the integrity and the truthfulness of the gospel. And here he's laying out his credentials as an apostle. He's saying, you know what, I've been called by God. My conversion, my commission, my clarity, my collaboration, my courage all bear witness to the fact that I'm telling you the truth. Don't listen to the Judaizers because the gospel matters. The glory of God's at stake, the mission of the church is at stake, and the salvation of your souls is at stake. As I think back about my life and those days when my friend Bob Tebow helped me embrace my calling, I can see some of these same patterns and principles at play in my life. Uh, The church we attended was kind of a large church in Jacksonville. It's about 600 in attendance. Uh, We had a Sunday night worship service that was different than our Sunday morning service. And so Bob went on a mission, you know, lobbying the lead pastor to give me an opportunity to preach on a Sunday night. And I don't know how much arm twisting he had to do, but it it's, can be risky to let an inexperienced 20-year-old uh, have the platform. So I picked out a text from 1 John, and I studied and prepared as hard as I could. And Bob coached me along the way. A, a little part of me wishes there was a cassette tape available for me to be able to listen to that message. A much bigger part of me is glad that there's no evidence of the deed. <laughs> Because I'm sure what I had to say was largely forgettable. But what Bob said to me afterwards changed the trajectory of my life. He said what I would never advise any staff person to say to somebody like me, he said this. Hey, you know what? You gave us more meat tonight than we typically get on a Sunday morning from our lead pastor. Now, he was working for the lead pastor. <laughs> and I would never advise any staff member to say something like that. But I'm, and I'm glad the lead pastor didn't hear him say it. But I'm glad that he did say it to me. Because that comment made me a washed up minor league ball player from the sticks of Tennessee who wondered, do I have what it takes to make a difference in the world? feel like I'm usable. A year later, my wife Marianne and I moved to go to seminary to study for the ministry. Three years after that, we moved to Cleveland to plant Cuyahoga Valley Church. And 37 years later, we've been part of starting about 20 other churches in Northeast Ohio and several dozen churches in Ghana, West Africa. I've had the opportunity to influence church planting leaders all across North America. I've helped to write curriculum that trains church planners all across the nation. I mean, what if Bob had not seen some potential in me and invested in me? I just want to say to every person in this room, God sees something in you. And if you hang around... Chad and Rika long enough, you know what? They're going to see something in you too. (laughs) You are not a washed-up ball player or plumber or salesman. You are not a washed-up homemaker or carpenter or clerk. You are not a washed-up lawyer or student or retiree. You're not a washed-up anything. You are called to be a missionary, disciple-maker, fisherman, fisherman, Witness, ambassador, evangelist, in a unique way, something that nobody else can do right where you live, right where you learn, right where you work, right where you play. You do have what it takes to make a difference in this world, so don't disqualify yourself from being used by God. If God used a terrorist to become the greatest missionary church planner the world has ever known, then God can use you. The magnitude of your sin is not too great because God's grace is greater. God can use you no matter what damage you've caused. You do have something to offer to God because God calls unlikely people to do uncommon things. Our God calls unlikely people to do unexpected things. So fulfilling God's call on your life, conversion. Most of you in this room have had that. A commission. Probably a lot of us in this room still need to figure out, what is that unique commission within the great commission for me? Find your sweet spot. Clarity. Clarity. Like, I'm taking the next steps in order to get clarity about truth, about the Scripture, about my theology, about myself. Confirmation. I'm going to spend some time with leaders of this church to make sure I'm, I'm taking the right steps, doing the right things. And courage. Like, where are you in this process today I mean, if you had to put yourself somewhere, where would you put yourself? And then what's your best next step to move through this process so that someday you are standing before the Lord and he says, Well done, my son. Well done, my daughter. If you're here and you prayed that prayer earlier about conversion, then we would love to chat with you a little bit about the service, and we'll meet you where, Chad? Right over there where Chad is. You can come up after the service, and we'll love to talk to you about your next step so that you could continue to grow in Christ. Let's pray. Would you take just 15 seconds right now and ask God to show you where you are in this process and to show you what your next step should be. Just talk to him right now. Jesus, we worship you who said to his first followers, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Lord, here are a new generation of followers. Let us hear you sending us out into the harvest that it's not for professional Christians, that it's for all of us to fulfill that unique mission for the Great Commission where we live, learn, work, play. Give this body of Christ the courage and the commitment to go do what you've called them to do. For we pray this in Jesus' name.